All right, y'all. We are here with a very, very special guest today. But before I get into that, I want to want to have a practice with us all today. <laughs> First, let me say this. There have been many podcasts, uh, perhaps some with Paul Check, perhaps some with others that may have stretched your mind, stretched what your inner critic would think is either possible or true, or maybe just something that downright you disagreed with. Totally normal. Totally normal. It happens to anybody in the podcast game. The reason I bring this up is that this podcast today is going to stretch you further than you've been stretched before. Even if you're familiar with Mickey's work, there's still the potential that this is going to exceed some of the boundaries of what you think is actually going on in the world. And that's totally okay. Uh, If you are familiar with Mickey's work, or if you are not, this is a podcast for everyone. And the reason for that is, if you've seen Plandemic 1 or Plandemic 2 indoctrination, then you've likely formed an opinion on it. Totally fine. If you have never seen either of them, that's also totally fine. What this podcast is meant to do today is to take a dive into Plandemic 2 indoctrination, unpack a lot of it systematically as the movie goes on. It's 90 minutes. Highly, highly recommend you all watch that. And if you've already seen it and you disagree with some things, I suggest you watch it a second time. If you listen to this podcast and you disagree with some things, I suggest you watch it. And if you've never seen it before, for sure, watch it. Even if you've seen the first one, the second one is a much uh, broader, all-encompassing view of what's happening today with our media. And I mean that not only in just the mainstream media and news, which of course is known, but of course with Google and Facebook and Instagram and all of these different avenues in which we communicate with one another and much, much more than that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big chunk to swallow. So let me just say that. Let me just say I also am a huge fan of Mickey's work. Uh, I, <laughs> may be alar- you may be alarmed by that, but I've watched Indoctrination three times. All three times I've cried. All three times I've been moved. All three times I've been angered. And uh, as we talk about in the podcast, it is a lot to handle, even for those who feel ready to handle it. So um, I implore you guys, listen to this podcast. If you think it is worth a damn at all, share it with people and share it with those that you know will listen, because this is a podcast that even many of my listeners will not want to continue listening. And um, I'll just leave it there. (laughs) That's, I think, enough to encompass that. Again, please check out Mickey's work. You can go to plandemicseries.com to watch any and all of his videos, download them, share them, all that stuff. And of course, we are talking about indoctrination, Plandemic 2, mainly on this podcast, as well as taking a deeper dive into some of the things that he could not include in the documentary, but may at another time in an upcoming documentary. One exercise I like, and we'll be talking about this with an upcoming episode with a good buddy, uh, Tim Corcoran is to table your inner critic. And of course, he's not using it in the context of watching this, but on his soul wander or a vision quest or plant medicine ceremony, one of the things that benefits us is if we can table the inner critic just for 24 hours. You acknowledge it. You say, hey, you got me here. I trust in you. You're good. You help me rationalize things and think through. And and you're my bullshit meter, which I truly appreciate, but I'm going to table you and put you in the passenger seat just for 24 hours. That way this can seep in. And in that, you can go back and review what you find truthful or not. 
outside of that um you support this show we have some show sponsors today that really make this show possible and <laughs> another uh another caveat here disclaimer none of my show sponsors uh i, I don't think are are <laughs> they are not inclusive of the guests that I have on. So <laughs> let's just say that their, their opinions may not reflect that of my own nor my guests. Uh, but let me just say today's show is brought to you by sportsbettingdime.com. It's your source for the latest odds, betting trends, matchup analysis, and advice. Sportsbettingdime.com provides the coverage fans need to bet with confidence every time. Follow along for breaking news and explore tools that make it easy to find the biggest money makers and best odds. Whether you're new to the game or a seasoned betting expert, sportsbettingdime.com can help make you make the right picks at the right price. The future trackers cover every major league and more, so you always know who has the best shot of taking home the title. You can go beyond wins and losses with betting records that reveal every team's investment potential. Get an edge on the house with matchup pages including AI-powered score predictions and real-time odds comparisons from top sports books. Whenever you want to get in the game, sportsbettingdime.com has the action covered from every angle. And of course, NFL action is back. So check out sportsbettingdime.com. We're also brought to you by Sovereignty. Sovereignty makes my very favorite CGN product. CGN is a cannabinoid, or a, maybe it's not, it is a cannabinoid. It is found in the cannabis plant. And uh, unlike CBD, but similar to CBD, it has the potential to work very effectively on the brain in terms of cognitive function. They've also included a host of other ingredients that are adaptogenic and incredible in helping produce more oxygen and energy within the brain. In addition to that, they throw in 75 milligrams of organic caffeine that gives you a bump like one cup of coffee and another 75 milligrams of time-released caffeine. And I tested this stuff out here. We brought out, they brought out a machine that works on HRV in real time as well as um, different brainwave entrainment states. So to look at if I'm an alpha wave, beta wave, theta wave, these types of things. And what was cool was as I increased my meta metabolic rate and had more energy and more cognitive function in terms of awareness and sharpness, my HRV also improved. And this is not the case with any other stimulants. Anything else that's going to get you jacked up is typically going to lower HRV and take you out of flow state, take you out of a meditative state. Not the case with this. The product is called Purpose and it's by Sovereignty. You can go to HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash sovereignty that is s-o-v-e-r-e-i-g-n-t-y dot co slash kyle to grab your favorite my favorite cgn product that's sovereignty.co slash kyle and again i will have this one clicked in the show notes we're also brought to you today by lucy.co lucy.co is making one of my favorite ways to consume nicotine and for most of you that are like what the fuck's up with nicotine hopefully you've read own the day own your life by aubrey marcus and many of you have heard me talk about the benefits of nicotine on this podcast in the past quick bullet points are it fits into acetylcholine receptors and every nootropic on the planet is trying to increase acetylcholine production this just fits right in like a, a skeleton key fitting into every key lock that you need to unlock your potential cognitively this is why we've seen people smoke on stage when they're doing comedy acts, why they might smoke cigarettes, which not good, not a good form of nicotine uh, while they're writing a book, but it's something that jogs the mind and is a muse for creativity. 
Lucy has uh, some amazing nicotine gum. It's four milligrams, which packs a punch in three different flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, pomegranate, and they also have a lozenge, cherry ice flavor, which you can use anywhere, flights, work, on the go, even in the gym, which I love. And uh, you're going to get 20% off your entire order that's applicable to all products, lucy.co, and use the promo code KKP at checkout. And that's specifically for Kyle Kingsbury podcast listeners. So check out lucy.co and use promo code KKP at checkout. Last but definitely not least, hear me talking about CGN. Well, CBD, one farm is an organic single origin farm out of Colorado, and they make the very best CBD products on the planet, including but not limited to my favorite tinctures. From cinnamon to lemon to unflavored, these guys have it dialed. It is 100% USDA certified organic as well as 100% CO2 extraction, full spectrum. That means you get every cannabinoid, every terpene, every alkaloid, all the good stuff in there from immune boosting benefits to lowering anxiety and helping you sleep better. They have it all under one roof and they've even included some new products for the ladies out there, night serums and facial creams as well as chapstick. And of course, they've got all the COVID needs from uh, hand sanitizers and things like that. But check these guys out. It is onefarm.com slash Kyle, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. Onefarm.com slash Kyle, 15% off the entire order. And here we go. Without further ado, my man, Mickey Willis. Mickey Willis. Here I am bumping tables and shit. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, thank you for being here. I mean, plain and simple. I don't want to ramble too much. Uh, about this let's just i can't hide my excitement so let's just start there let me address that we'll call it what it is i'm very excited to have you here and excited not necessarily the way i would describe some of the documentaries that you've made you know it's 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 exciting in that it's revealing but um the truth hurts and that's that's one thing that we've been talking about is uh you know the truth will set us free and it's something we can't look away from mm -hmm. um but at the same time it it does really suck to dive deep and to understand kind of where where we're at as a society as as humanity on earth so let's just rewind a second let's talk a bit about what led you to the track that you're on right now mm. good place to start at the beginning yeah really so when i was in my early 20s um, I watched my brother die of bad AIDS treatments and 23 days later my mom died of bad cancer treatments and so that was definitely something that had me you know begin to take a deeper look at western medicine and the errors of our medical establishment um, but but back then there, we didn't have the internet and any ways to really research it and I wasn't involved in the kind of work that I'm involved in right now so I just kind of went into the mourning process and moved to Los Angeles and started a career and just wanted to put all, all of that behind me. Um, but then the same names that I remember hearing in the 80s came back again when this pandemic started. And that, that's what really kind of reinvigorated uh, this quest of mine to, um, to make sure uh, or, or to do my best to inform the people that something is awry within our Western medical systems that needs to be addressed um, because we're getting sicker and 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 more dependent upon elements other than nature that is going to lead us to something a place we don't want to be in in the future <laughs> yeah and on, on uh 
the unfortunate realization for me is is realizing that a lot of these things that other people have talked about as maybe more a bit more downstream or you know 10 years from now 20 years from now or this is what it could look like a lot of them are already in place mm-hmm. you know and and we'll get into that cuz i want to impact the second pandemic indoctrination one thing i think that's worth you know while in addressing here is is something you do beautifully address right in the beginning of the second pandemic is um you know the backlash with dr judy mikovits right and in sent just in my personal experience sending the second documentary out to people their their automatic response is i've already seen it and a lot of it is x y and z that i read in the atlantic or fucking john oliver told me (laughs) right and it's like well hold on the second one is completely different than the first and it addresses a lot of what you saw in the first and a lot of what the media was saying about the first one yeah so maybe that's a good place to start with you know let's start with pandemic what was judy mikovitz revealing and uh you know why 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 did the whole system <laughs> respond the way that it did well the simple answer to that is because judy mikovitz was an eyewitness and so you have a, thousands of doctors that are online saying the same stuff that she's saying now and they've been saying it for decades but the difference with her is she worked directly under Anthony Fauci. And she was there during the entire AIDS epidemic and scandal, which if people don't really know what happened in the AIDS era, there were tens of thousands, if not millions of people that, that could have been prevented from dying that weren't. Um, and, and a lot of that is at, at the hands of Anthony Fauci and the same characters that are running the show right now, some of the same organizations with the WHO and the CDC. And so in their, in their quest to only uh, issue their patentable medicines, their vaccines, they allowed a lot of people to die. They, they hid medicines, which is very similar to what's happened in, in this particular pandemic with hydroxychloroquine and, and, and other um, you know, really you know, tested and proven remedies. And, uh, and so I'll just back up a little bit. So I met Judy Mikovits two years before we filmed that interview together. Somebody had brought her into my office, a very dear friend of mine, another doctor, and said that she is about to release a book and wanted my help to spread the message because her what she knew um, and, and what she'd experienced needed to get out there into the world because it really had the ability to awaken the people to understand the corruption that lies at the heart of our, um, you know, our, our global institutions of medicine. And so we met, uh, Judy told me her entire story from beginning to end. And I just sat across from her and I listened, uh, but more importantly, I watched her and I, and I paid attention to her body language, her facial expressions, the, the, the brokenness in her voice, where her eyes went, <clears throat> the, the shame, the pain, everything that she carried. And I just knew that this woman is telling the truth. Perhaps not every word she's saying is exactly accurate, but, but none of us have that gift to be that way, right? We're not flawless. And so I listened to her and, and I felt for her. I really felt like this is a really brave, courageous woman who could just live out the rest of her, her life right now. She's, she has a unhealthy 80 some year old husband and, and, and all of this brings tons of stress to him. She doesn't need to be doing any of this. Um, and she's doing it because she, when I asked her, she said, it's, she was on a mission from God in, in her opinion. She said, I, I have to, I can't die knowing what I know 
And to think that I, I, didn't, I didn't share that with the rest of humanity, I, I have to let the world know because now these same characters are now at the forefront of this next situation that's happening. And a lot of people are going to be hurt. And so um, <clears throat> that was the first meeting. And then when, when the pandemic was declared, we got together, I wanted to meet with her to find out like, what, what in your opinion, what's really, what's really going on? Because there's a lot of us that can smell a rat something's not right here and, and things aren't logical. It doesn't make sense. So can you help, you know, at least give me your opinion of what's going on. And as she started to, to tell me what was going on, I realized that what she was saying was so important that uh, it should be filmed. So I said, let's stop, come to my studio. I'll turn on the cameras and we'll sit down and I'll, I'll interview you just like we're doing now, but let's record this and I'll, I'll pay for it. And we'll, I'll put out a, an, a, the interview out there just so people can hear this. Cause I think it's worthy to be, to be heard. And that's what started the first one. In the middle of that interview, as as we were, I, I was interviewing her. I could just feel like my body was vibrating, and I I was in the middle of producing another movie about the media, and and then I just I realized in that moment I said I'm going to push that movie aside, and I'm going to focus on this because right now with the world in quarantine and everyone with only their computers and TVs to stare at, this is probably the most important message that we could get out to the people right now. And that was the sole intention of that. And, uh, and then it, you know, because the media was, and people like Bill Gates own all the fact checkers, um, you know, really are the gatekeepers of free speech in many, many ways, their push to censor it only made people more curious. So I really wanna thank those gatekeepers of free speech because then it, the, this first interview became the most viewed and banned piece of media of all time. And, and not just because it's censored, it was censored, but because people could feel that there was, there was truth in it. And then the media came at us hard and they did everything they can to character assassinate myself and Judy and, and just pick apart everything. Um, and what people don't realize and which is why in part two we really wanted to focus on the media aspect of it and how that game works because as a as a veteran 30 plus years as a media producer i've seen it and i know how it works and i've been on the other side of it and that's why i escaped hollywood um you know a decade and a half ago because i couldn't play that game anymore and and the game is really you know to control the narrative and when the public opens up their computer and they do their best to search for the truth. And they see all these outlets with the same answer saying they're bad, they're dangerous. It creates the illusion of truth because if they're all saying it, no one, we don't know that there's a central controllers that control numerous news agencies. And so it's one voice, you know, really dissected into many voices, giving the appearance of of collective agreement i'm hearing this everywhere yeah exactly yeah there's a lot that's, that's coming that's up the for trick me that you did so well in uh indoctrination pandemic too um when you show the piece on amazon yeah and how every major news outlet is saying fucking word for word the same thing and that's how it works it's right you hear it enough times from the script yeah amazon's taking every precaution they're going to make sure that they're still able to get us our boxes and our food and That's our right. shipments right yeah and uh you know i think the pr the problem for me if if i or the problem for me prior to seeing this which to be to be perfectly honest i mean i i know jp who's who i love he didn't want to be the raw raw guy 
which is great. He was like, look, I'm, I'm in agreement here, but I'm not going to try to yeah. <laughs> jump, you know, like pound the drum while you're talking right now, even though I want to. I do have an opinion. And there's a lot of people who get a podcast that grows in numbers and eventually they start to have less of opinion because of pushback. Yeah. Totally cool. They want to play it down the middle. I do have an opinion. When I saw Indoctrination, I said, this is the greatest and most important documentary ever made. And the reason for that is because it ties every fucking loose end. It, it, it ends the arguments that are all set in place by design to keep us fighting each other, yeah. to keep us disagreeing with one another. And you can't argue with the footage either, right? Like the, the footage of people fighting in grocery stores over social distancing, the, the footage of cops in Melbourne beating people for not wearing mm -hmm. masks. Like it is absolutely gripping. Uh, but again, let's, let's, let's rewind. Let's start here. I think at the beginning, something that I had come across and, you know, look, I've got some of the, the, the people that I have gravitated towards from Paul Cech and many others that have been, you know, looking at things holistically and thinking outside the box when it comes to health and wellness, when it comes to the food we eat, when it comes to, uh, you know, what big agriculture has done through Monsanto and a lot of these companies, um, that's, that's, I think been the the seed for me to start asking more questions. Mm -hmm. And through that, thankfully, I get emails because, you know, I jumped off social media and then I was like, shit, all right, maybe I'll stay on Instagram. That way I can still talk to people. And we'll get into social media here. But um, really where I'm going with this is that I've still, I'm still getting information from, from people that are glued to this stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that surfaced was Event 201, yeah. which you can't really look at anywhere now, of course but other than your documentary, mm -hmm. right? So explain what Event 201 was, because of course, since this got circled around, that's, there's been a number of moves to make that unavailable to people, right? That didn't happen. And even Bill Gates goes on to say, we did not yeah. pay for this. We didn't fund it. It never happened. Never <laughs> practiced it, never simulated it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah which, is, which is nuts. It just shows their, their, their blazing um, willingness to tell a, a you know, I mean, I see this in politicians all the time, right? They know they were on tape two years ago saying X, Y, and Z, and then they come out two years later and act as if they never stood for that. You know, it's amazing that they just assume that the public is has such a short-term memory. My job is to, you know, we archive terabytes of footage. So when this, when something is said in the media, um, I, I call one of my team members and, and I'll send them a link and say, download it now because it's going to disappear. So we save all this stuff and because we know that at some point we'll need to reflect back on this you know, crazy thing that so-and-so just said. Um, but uh, uh, what was the question? Event 201. Event 201, yeah. Unpack it, brother. So Event 201 was a, a simulation that was um, uh, put together to you know, supposedly help us get better prepared for a pandemic of this nature. But there's a lot of suspicious elements in, in 201, event 201. Um, and there was one several years before called Claydex. Um, this was, these aren't the first ones. And then there's a lot of simulations that have taken place in paper form through different, you know, brochures and manuals and, and manifestos and, and what have you. So there's this, um, <clears throat> what, what I take it to mean is literally they'll do a round table with a bunch of people and it starts with actors playing real people so perhaps real politicians or or the C ceos of real you know um, vaccine manufacturers 
and um, and they'll simulate what this might be like and and how we should respond to a um, a coming uh, you know virus outbreak. Now, on the surface, this is this is actually a good idea. You know, in the same way that the fire department has their burning buildings that they go out in the field and practice on, um, it's it's a very good idea. But when you actually watch all of it, and it's several hours long, <clears throat> it's it's suspect at best, because when when you listen to the nuance details of the scripts that they write, it's not just hey let's get prepared and let's discover together what we need. They know everything that they need. It's written in the scripts. They know what they're going to lack. They know N95 masks and ventilators and all this. They know years before the, the outbreaks happen that all these things are going to happen. They say within these scripts, this is how people are going to react. This is how we need to control the media. This is the hospitals are going to be over flooded. We're going to need to do this with insurance. They know everything in advance. And so my, my, my intention for showing the, uh, the 20, event 201 scenario is that um, the, the question is, if they knew all of this in advance to be able to produce a, a globally televised through the internet event with major players because at the end the real players step in so in the beginning it's actors and then it's you know the ceo of johnson and johnson and the heads of who and cdc and they're all there at, and they're all warning each other you know what are we going to do when the people say that this is a globalist agenda we need to find a way to squash that and to control that so okay so we'll need to work with the you know mainstream media they're trying to get ahead of of the truth because they know that once this comes out and i don't think that everyone involved in these simulations i just want to be clear about this are in on it yeah. are really in on the pandemic um, i think they generally are invited and probably feel very honored to be there to work on something as important as you know preparing for a future outbreak but when you really pay attention to the 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 puppet masters of the event the 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 people who fund it either you know publicly or privately that's an issue because there's some funding that happens there that they don't even report um and <clears throat> you start to get that there's a there's a psychological aspect to this they're preparing these people and everyone watching at home and their live audience they're planting the seed of how they want us to respond when it comes out so that it allows their agenda to move forward and it's 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 kind of creepy yeah and it's it's very interesting too in that we've never had a pandemic in the past since i mean i shouldn't say never but maybe spanish flu was the last one that took out that many people bubonic plague something mm -hmm. like that like when when have we had when there's certainly been bad flu seasons there's been a lot of that i you know i had heard uh a podcast that tony robbins did he did three on coronavirus and you know i, I did a solo cast talking about this talking about masks and different things like that what i've really gleaned from the medical doctors on the front lines in COVID 19 and he had seven medical doctors on the thing about tony robbins is you could say well this guy's a doctor he doesn't know shit and of course you can ascribe the same thing to bill gates but point being he's got pull he's got reach certainly more than i do and he had two medical doctors from stanford which that we'll circle back in this conversation too as well two from the cleveland clinic like mm -hmm. some of the top people in the world that are looking at this stateside and 
all of them were saying that every forecast has been completely overdone. Yeah. That influenza in 2017 killed more people, mm-hmm. right? And, and Zach Bush, who's a friend, has been on the show. Dr. Zach Bush said, if this was created, they didn't do a good job, yeah. right? Because it's not killing people. Yeah. And that's been confirmed in many ways. But maybe this thing was not created to kill a whole lot of people. Maybe it was created to start to tiptoe their way in to things mm-hmm. that we cannot go back upon. And if you think about that, like, well, that sounds... Uh, a little bit imaginary, look no further than the Patriot Act, look mm-hmm. no further than TSA, look no mm-hmm. further than the manufactured wars that happened from 9 11. Yeah. And I know you were on the front lines there yeah. in 9 11. Um, let's talk patents because uh, we have, uh, you know, I was introduced to a friend of yours, David A. Martin, who, you know, I, I can probably count on one hand how many people I've met like him that are that brilliant, that are that spiritually sound, that are that grounded and really have a wealth of knowledge in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But he comes on pandemic indoctrination and immediately opens up with patent issue. Unpack that a little bit. Well, I I certainly uh, would encourage you to have David on your show because he can can unpack that um, in much more detail than I can because that's his profession and he's been pursuing that uh, since the 90s. And so when it came time to make Pandemic Two, which is really, you know, the movie. The Judy Michaelvitz piece was more of a teaser to the movie. Um, I had interviewed almost thirty doctors, uh, top doctors from all over the world, virologists and top scientists, Nobel laureates, and then David comes into my sphere and through several friends, and so I flew him out. A lot of the other people we just did on Zoom, but I just kind of I watched his videos and I said there's something special about this guy and uh and i said it's it's worth actually bringing him out so we flew him out sat down with him and again during the interview i was like this is going to be this is the thread of the whole movie because what i didn't want to do was to um because i know the game i didn't want to focus on a lot of the things that they distracted the world with from part one and it's a game they play, right? So they'll choose hot button subjects, you know, race, uh, gender, uh, masks, social distancing, all these things. There's there's a reason that it's always in the news cycle, because they're those are the hot button subjects that we you can show me all your data to to support why masks should be worn, and I can show you all of my peer reviewed studies to show you why they never have been um, good for that purpose. Um, and we're never going to win. We're just going to keep flexing in that way. And, and that's what they want. They want us over just divided and arguing so that it's very, it's the same psychology that goes into a magic trick. You know, the, the magician goes, you know, check this out. And this hand is over here doing the trick. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's how they've, that's how they've manipulated us, um, as a collective for, for generations. So I said, I'm not going to play that game. I know the game. Uh, and and we're going to keep all of that out of a part two. We're simply going to talk about the patents and the conflicts of interest, because that's where we got them legally. And on that note, we are gearing up for some very serious um, high level lawsuits. We're 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 pursuing these uh, you know these fraudulent companies and individuals uh, to the full extent of the law, uh, but we're going in it through the the through the patent courts which is 
the one thing that hasn't been done yet to hold them accountable. And so we we will make progress on this. Like watch. the IRS taking out Al Capone. Yeah, exactly. Right? Find like, a way. That that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, wonderful comparison because that's sometimes what you have to do when you're dealing with mobsters on that level, and we are dealing with mobsters at that level, clearly. Um, and uh, you know, so when people understand that the there's so much blatant conflicts of interest, um, there's a, a term that um, I did, I wasn't even familiar with until I met David. It's interlocking directorates, where you have. Uh, Anthony Fauci's position that he holds is illegal. He serves on so many boards and is a part of it's it's kind of like, you know, in in trading, you know, you can't have insider trading info. You can't be part of something and then and then also, you know, betting for or against that 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 entity. It's very similar and and they have broken that rule every place. So that's just the conflict of interest and the reason they're on everyone's boards and they're all sharing you know this this uh this the shared power is because they're the ones that they have to control each each of these different entities that that are necessary for the agenda to, to unfold and so you have all of that then you have all the suspicious stuff that's gone on in the world of, of, of patents and and you have you know very old laws that say you can't patent nature which has been one of the massive hurdles that these people, beginning back with the Rockefellers when they corrupted Western medicine, or I would say even invented Western medicine, when they when they robbed us of, of the natural remedies that are derived from the planet, the intelligence of the planet, and and uh, and it's called that quackery, and literally gelled any of the practitioners. Yeah, name it alternative. And then called it alternative, and then they suddenly said, okay, because that was when they discovered through science that you could make um, pharmaceuticals through uh, petroleum. And, and John D. Rockefeller owned all the oil in the world. So he said, well, if I own all the oil, I want to own all the medicine. And so he literally demonized all of the stuff that actually works, that supports our natural immune system, and that, that, that serves into the expansion of our evolution. And, and while he propped up all of his new synthetic drugs that ultimately create dependency, which is why we have a, a, an addicted world and a world that is not getting healthier because of these medicines. That said, um, I think there's a really wonderful uh, time and a place for Western medicine. It's it's necessary in in, in certain elements, but but this this um, ideology that we have that every time we get sick we just take a pill is literally going to be the downfall of man. Mark, mark my words. We will reach a point where we have destroyed our we have turned off our natural immune system to such a degree um, by constantly telling it that we don't need it because we can take a pill it doesn't have to evolve with us and that we will be in a place of you know uh, uh, unable to survive our toxic environment that that's that's what's coming as a as a result of that yeah it's it's a it's a weird thing to think of too one of the things that i've that honestly let me just say it's it's funny because uh it, believe it or not right so i've been gifted a lot of understanding intuition insight and knowledge from plant medicines ayahuasca yeah. in particular and in asking that question um I know nothing about that word. Really around, <laughs> really around, you know, medicine for my son when he was in the womb. Do we vaccinate? I've heard enough on the other side of it to yeah. really have question marks. 
at the bare minimum before I started diving into it. And I have not spoken about it on this show for many reasons, mm -hmm. many of which are the way we are programmed to attack each other based yeah. on that yeah. herd immunity and all the other shit that goes on with that. And the answer that I got was take from me. And I saw nature just growing wildly, you know, all of the plants, all of the garden that we live mm -hmm. in, right? That is nature untouched in its beauty and its essence. And that was very clear. And the next thing that came in is do we need this? And the just no words, just the understanding do, were you created to depend upon an injection to survive in this world? And fuck no. Mm -hmm. No, we are created in our perfection. Mm -hmm. And if we eat and live on the land and live with the harmony of the rhythms and the cycles of our own daily circadian rhythm and the circadian rhythm of the earth, no, we have our health, mm -hmm. right? When all of these things, when all the disease manifests, it's when we are out of harmony with the earth, right? Yeah. We, we, we watched Apocalypto and the, the tribesmen as they're being carried for the fucking human sacrifice they're, they're, one of them asks, I don't know where we're going. And the other guy says, I hear we're going to a place where the earth bleeds, right? Well, you think back to the industrial revolution, the earth was bleeding there, right? We had 15 to 20 people in one room with a little poop chute, no light, no fucking clean air coming in. And, you know, close family farms with just this, not in harmony, not in regenerative agriculture, not in permaculture and disease starts to manifest. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at those things. I mean, that's my own personal reason for making that choice, which I stand by, and I've seen it. I've seen it as an experiment to work because when my son gets sick, he's never needed antibiotics. He's never needed Tylenol. He gets a fever, he has water, and he successfully learns what that cold is and doesn't get it again. We're seeing this learning happen, and he's one of the healthiest kids I've ever met. In addition to that, if and when he needs antibiotics from jujitsu, they'll fucking work because yeah. he's never had them before. Yeah. I'm not going to say, no, you have a staph infection. We'll beat it with nature. That's like, right. no, we'll, we'll use antibiotics. Yeah. You get fucking MRSA, we're going to use it when we need it. But at the same time, is that the thing that we need to have multiple times a year? That, I, that happened to me. That happened to many people who are in their 30s. Just look back to your childhood. Yeah. How many times were you prescribed antibiotics? It's not, it's not the way, mm -hmm. right? The way is back to nature. And as it turns, that has been systematically taken away from us in every possible way, and including in our own minds, what we're thought to think of, how we're programmed to really dive into, oh, you in the white lab coat, you tell me what to do. You give me the pill to take. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a gnarly thing. Let's, let's talk about this. You know, um, that's, the core of the, that's the core wound. I, it's I'm, a, I appreciate you going there because that's the core wound, literally. The, uh, how we've been separated from our nature leads to every element, every social issue that we're now dealing with in our world, all the mental illness, all the racism, all of that comes back to this intentional push for us to be divided from our natural intelligence. We have the, the ability within us, which is why i ended the movie that i the way i ended the movie because i want people above all not to listen to me not to take my advice i didn't want to give them a call to action or anything like that i want them to reawaken to remember who and what they are because it's the 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 days of listening to the saviors is over the days of being conned and 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 um and just you know 
all the ways that the politicians convince us and the advertisers convince us that we're in danger, we're in need, we're not capable of, of tending to our own lives. And if we just vote for them or pay more taxes or whatever it might be, all of those issues will be solved. Every advertiser sells it to us that way. They say, this is what a man must be and look like and talk like and dress like and same thing with, with women. And if you're not, that's why you don't have the love in your life. That's why things aren't quite the way you thought they'd be when you were children. But if you buy our product and if you, you know, subscribe to our, our ideology or vote for me, uh, all that's going to improve. And it never has and it never will. The only thing that's going to save us is us, is returning to that ability to say we are resilient, we are brilliant because we are, we are nature itself. Um, the animals don't come into this existence. The, 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 the plants and, and all of nature, they don't come in looking for their leader to guide them. They come in with a sense of intuition, instincts. You know, a baby deer pops out of the womb and stands up in a minute and knows how to walk without, without modeling, without seeing other deer even walk. They, they know how to do that. We know how to father intuitively, but we think we need to read all the books and we need to you know, find all these other ways to do it, it's, it's because we've lost that trust in, our, in ourselves, which then becomes lack of trust in each other. And that's the, that's the core wound that, that I'm, you know, we, ha we must heal, in my yeah, opinion. It's, 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 it can't be overstated. Let's jump into, uh, you know, as far as hearing this in mainstream media, my mainstream media, we got rid of our TV years ago, but um, the mainstream media that I listen to are podcasts from different people and and you can credit or discredit that but if you're listening here you found some good information i hope in in the previous podcast as well as this one but i heard uh brett weinstein had returned to joe rogan's podcast and he's a very intelligent guy he was talking a lot on race he was talking a lot on uh black lives matter and that you know without leadership it can lead to more of an anarchist movement and it made many different things some of which i agreed with some of which i didn't but one of the things he was talking about was how certain he was that this has been created and this is not this this dude is progressive as it gets and it's funny yeah. how these lines and boxes get placed on us politically yeah. when we start to have an issue with some of the narrative right like you're a right-wing conspiracy theorist flat earther uh you believe in the frog god etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> And, and that's one of the ways that we can quickly be dismissed for having thoughts. Everyone listening to this show knows that I'm from California. I fuck my last weigh-ins in the UFC. I wore legalized gay on my ass and slapped it when I weighed in. Like I'm, I'm about it. I'm about yeah. human rights. I'm about yeah. many of the things that fall into that line of thinking. But as this is played out, that hasn't necessarily been the case. Back to Brent or Brett Weinstein. Like he... He gets into this and from a biologist standpoint, not a virologist, but really says that this has every telltale sign of something that has been mucked with. And you guys still not having the full picture. He's just saying like this, this is in his opinion, completely created. And in indoctrination, of course, you not only show all the different experts in mm -hmm. virology that have studied this. Mm -hmm. And look into this and say it is for sure 100 man-made yeah and also you take it even further and show this is where this has been funded this is where this went moved from the united states and the letters from was it nih that basically said hey 
we should push pause, which basically means you're at your, I think, I think what was highlighted was, uh, uh, it's, it's up to you or you can vo it's voluntarily. Like yeah, you we, we voluntarily. need to let you know that what you're doing, the gain of function research is, is incredibly dangerous and you should probably stop. But since you've already started, keep going. Yeah. Basically is what the note said. And so, and so here it goes, it keeps going. You know, and, and, and again, like on paper, this might seem like a good idea. All right, let's, yeah. let's fast forward the evolution of some of these viruses that could potentially be a problem one day. That way we can have an antidote for it one day. Yeah. Well, I don't see anybody creating uh, more radical and deadly snake venom out there and to, to then figure out a way to combat that, right? And right. people get bit by fucking snakes all the time. I don't mm -hmm. see people, I mean, it's just, to me, that's just not, the correct argument but you do take it further and you really show how not only was this thing moved to china but you create this brilliant and, and david martin comes back in you create this brilliant finger pointing game of the u.s can say it was china china can say yeah. it was the u.s and here we go divide yeah. and conquer yeah all over again yeah well i i will go on a limb here to say that uh, by this point, personally, I'm absolutely convinced that the virus was manipulated in a lab. And, um, but it's more than my opinion. This is after having interviewed 30 plus top scientists from around the world. And I, of course, that's one of the questions on my list. And, uh, and you know, that's been confirmed. We have now a, a whistleblower from Wuhan who has stepped forward to announce exactly that. Not only did she announce that it was manipulated in a lab, but that it was also intentionally released. And this is what we suggest in the film because all roads point towards that. And so when you when you look at that, and, and but th the only difference is I think that some people in the US are trying to then say that China did this to harm the US. Well, it's an inside job. It's China and the US working together. And that's what will soon be discovered. Um, and then, so then you have to back up and say, well, why? Why would they do that? And I know this is difficult for people to, to, to grok because we don't want to believe this. You know, it's like hearing that your, your significant other is cheating. You know, you might sense it. You know, every time they come home, you feel it. You want to look away from it. You don't want your whole world disrupted. You don't want to feel that pain pain of confirming what you suspect and that's the cognitive dissonance that people are experiencing right now because the, you know to to think that our people within our government because it's not our government we ha we have to be careful with our language that we speak you know in extreme measures but that there are certain forces within the government within the medical establishment um definitely within politics who have been working on this for a long time that's why we call it pandemic. Um, my personal um, suspicion, and a lot of other people, uh, is that it wasn't that the, there was a plan to utilize an outbreak, whether that be intentionally released or waiting for one to happen organically, um, but that this wasn't supposed to happen yet. And it's because of Trump presidency and a lot of the stuff that's being uncovered that it was pushed to the front, which is one of the reasons that we can witness it not going as planned that there's a, it's backfiring in so many ways and they weren't ready with a lot of things because I think it was pushed to the front um, that it probably would have occurred in Hillary Clinton's second term is is more more than likely what was 
planned. For what reason then? Well, for the reason to usher in, um, yeah, I'm just going to say it. And I, and I want to first say that I, I understand how this will sound to a lot of people because it wasn't too long ago that I would have shrugged this off or laughed this off or would have just called it a, a crazy conspiracy theory. If I heard myself talking about this a year ago, I would have exactly. laughed in my own fucking face. Exactly. I had people approach me, uh, I think the first one was 12 years ago that told me all of this was coming and I laughed in their face. And I've since then called back and said, my brother, I'm sorry, you're right, I was wrong. I didn't want to hear it. I wanted to live in my bubble that everything is fine and all of humanity is wonderful. And, and it's just, you know, now I'm, I'm awake and I can see what you saw way back when. Um, so I'll say this, we are, what's happening right now um, is that we are experiencing a communist takeover in this country. I'm just going to say it out loud. It, this is what it looks like. People might think it looks, a, you know, supposed to look in it, appear a different way, but this is what it looks like. Um, when you, I've interviewed a lot of people um, from Korea and 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 um, um, uh, Cuba, in di different areas where they've experienced Venezuela, different areas where they've had a similar thing that's unfolded, that have left the people in in extreme poverty and and ultimately slavery. And I've interviewed all these people and they will confirm this is exactly how it snuck up on us. We didn't know, but there was always under the guise of some invisible boogeyman, some incredible danger that we all then sacrificed our civil liberties for survival until we realized once the boogeyman had passed, which we never even really saw, suddenly we were left with the outcome of the, our, our reduced freedoms. And each time this happened, we suddenly found ourselves you know, in a place that we had no idea we were we were heading in. And so that's what's at the root of this is literally a, uh, and, I, and I have to say that I, I learned this, I was on the road with Bernie Sanders in 2016 and traveled with him all the way from Southern California till his campaign ended in, in, um, in Philadelphia. And every day there was a new stop, multiple stops along the day, a lot of interviewing people on the streets and, and Bernie followers all over. And at that time I was a, a real Bernie bro, as they, as they call it. Um, and I started to hear from these young people who would, would say things that sounded like um, they were in favor of communism. And I would then say, that sounds a lot like communism. And some of them started to become honest and say, yeah, we are actually all for that. I said, you're, you're for communism? Yes. And they would show me, you know, on their computer stickers with the, the sickle and the hammer and the, and I'm like, what part of that appeals to you? What is that? And when you hear what led them to, to adapt to the idea that communism will work in America, it, each time I could trace it back to their typically to their college professors. And so when you bring up Brett Weinstein and, and people like that, there's, there's a comment I want to make about that because the thing that I've learned is we, we've been programmed to take advice from people that are clearly highly educated. 
And that makes sense. That's a very logical thing to do. People speak, they have incredible vocabulary. They, they, they can speak in detail about things that we've never even thought of. And we, we right away put them above us thinking, well, then I'm going to take their advice because they must know more than I do. Um, I now lear have learned to listen to farmers, people with their feet in the earth and hands in the earth and people that are still connected with that element because after doing my homework and tracing back the history of mind control, the history of the way the CIA, which we expose in pandemic indoctrination, the way that um, they infiltrated all of the media to control the narrative, to um, and the way they've been studying the human mind and what it takes to get people to do what they want. Um, when you understand that, you, you get that all those pro programs were designed for influencers. So this is why, you know, celebrities tend to be so bonkers these days, you know, and so many of these highly educated, intelligent doctors and professors uh, can still have these ideologies that are so awry to reality um, because they don't even know. And that's why I call the film Indoctrination. They don't even know that the, the bulk of their education has been paid for big, by Big Pharma and other entities like this to indoctrinate them because they have influence on the, on the upcoming workforce. Um, and that's why it's, it's evident even in, you know, we used to call them stars or celebrities. We call famous people now influencers. The game is about influence. So anyone with, you know, a, a big podcast or a TV show or the ability, a, a, a hit record, the Cardi B's of the world, you see how they're all pandering, you know, like Joe Biden is pandering to Cardi B right now. Why? Because she has 17 million followers on Instagram or whatever. You know, she has influence. Um, a woman who literally has said she has drugged and raped and robbed men in her life. The, the guy who's running to be president is propping her up as a role model. And you go, that's, that's an odd choice to make, to associate with her, but it doesn't matter. The morality doesn't matter. It's the influence. And so people who have influence have, have been the target of the most fierce mind control. So I've learned, you know, to first find out, has someone survived that, that um, hypnotism? I've learned to look at that first. Like, are they, are they in that fog? They're in that fear where they're, you know, they believe what the mainstream narrative or have they somehow, you know, worked around that or broken through that? And those are the people that I, I tend to listen to and, and people with, you know, just good down to earth logic you know, common sense. Yeah. And there's a laundry list of those people. They're not, yeah. they're not, <clears throat> thank God. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's the Dr. Sherry Tenpennies, the Dr. Rashid Batars. There yep. are many people. All my heroes. Yep. Yeah. Absolute heroes that have found their way through that. Um, let's, let's also rewind a bit. One of the things when I talked about these systems that are already in place that aren't much further, um, is Google. You know, and, and I had heard Dr. Joe Mercola. Dr. Joseph Mercola was one of the guys who was leading the front lines in natural medicine. Uh -huh. He had been outspoken about vaccines a number of years ago. And uh, I had many people, I have registered nurses turn me on to this guy. Mm -hmm. Actually, when I was on The Ultimate Fighter in 2008, a buddy of mine, Philippe Nover, uh, Philippe Nover, who's a nurse in New York City and likely is very progressive like I was and very, or am still. And, um, 
labels, right? No fucking not. Uh, he turned me on to this guy. He said, you're going to love this dude. And I've been following him for years. And he was recently on Paul Check's podcast, Living 4D. And he had just interviewed Dr. Epstein, who's featured in Indoctrination, and talked about the documentary, The Creepy Line, which is available on Amazon Prime. I think it's four bucks worth every fucking penny and mm -hmm. every minute of your time to show you that Google has become the largest surveillance company in the world. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, because I want to get into Google, which owns YouTube. I want to get into Facebook, which owns Instagram, and really just unravel this even further. Well, you know, all of these uh, major tech firms are involved in a, a, a giant monopolies, you know, the, and again, that is the game, the consolidation of information, which is why when you look at Disney and you look at every the pyramid of what they own under it, you know, or, or any of the, um, the big outlets that, that just keep merging and, you know, through acquisitions, keep consolidating all of these places, you know, people tend to think that the internet is the place for the alternative messages where you can get the truth or, you know, but you get you know, the buzzfeeds of the world, the voxes of the world, the vices of the world, they're all owned by, by the motherships and they all adhere to the, the same rules. And they're, they're, they're informed, you know, daily through memos, you know, that thing, that guest you had on or whatever, that's not cool because our, now we have a sponsor that wants to pull out one of our biggest vaccines, you know, manufacturers, they want to pull out. So you can't say that anymore. And don't you dare, you know, say anything about Bill Gates because he's our biggest, you know, financer right now. Don't you dare say that. Um, and, and so I, I really learned, we've all known, you know, for decades, and plus that that Google was working its way towards, I mean, you know, come on, they have, um, you know, massive deals with the Pentagon like Amazon does and all of that. So they're, they're involved in the government and that becomes an issue, right? They're not just a platform. Um, and, and Google isn't a search engine to help you find truth. Google is a search engine to help indoctrinate you to what they want us to believe is true. And that has never been more clear to me than after um, getting to know a, a friend of mine who's also in the film for just a blip, but Zach Voorhees, who was, um, um, he gets a lot of flack out there because he's a Q follower and, and which is something I, I, I don't know much about, but people- I, I've have, been told about it, don't know it as well. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've perp only because I can't verify the source, only because of that, I, I have no judgment on it. And I actually have heard, um, you know, some of my most educated uh, friends that I trust follow it. And, you know, they haven't said anything yet that has proven to be inaccurate. Um, but I just don't follow it because I, I have to verify sources um, in my work. And so, um, but he's, he's a Q follower, so he gets a lot of flack out there for that. But um, he was a senior programmer at, at Google and uh, started to hear rumors about um, one of the way that these corporations are able to have hundreds, if not thousands of employees and this is another way that they, they, they pass the lie on to the public. And, and one of the things that are, is hard for the general public to understand is that there's an assembly line of work. This is just a metaphor. And, and everything is compartmentalized. And so people in these different compartments are making a piece of something. And they don't always know what they're making. And so the metaphor I like to use is, you know, someone's, you know, they each have, that someone's making, designing an engine and someone's designing a this weird looking metal track thing that's going on and, and not until you put it together at the end of the assembly line do you realize it's a tank right so they don't even know what they're making they're just designed to do that thing 
And so he started to wake up to that of like, well, what, what is the overall objective of this duty that I've been given here to find what, okay, we have this machine learning thing. We have all this, um, you know, stuff that's coming in. It's interesting. And let, let me dig a little deeper. I have access to the internal computer systems. Let me start looking to, so I can just, you know, just feel better about what I'm doing to know what I'm creating ultimately. And he started to stumble on, on all these um, blacklists that, you know, we, you can understand why maybe a company would say, you know, we want to blacklist anything to do with child pornography. You know, the, the idea of saying this doesn't allow on this platform. We this can all not, agree to that. We can all agree to that. Like that, that, again, that's a logical thing that we could do. But he started seeing cancer cures and, and natural remedies and the power of vitamin D and sunshine and, and, and like things that he, you know, or eating, you know, diet, you know, instead it would direct you towards a pharmaceutical cure instead of, you know, like a real cure for obesity. And he, he's, he was looking at that going, why, why would they, why would they hide this stuff? He knew enough about nutrition to know that this stuff is actually the, the legitimate stuff. Why would they redirect people from stuff that could actually help them to stuff that we know harms them? And that's when he started saying, I, I'm, I'm working for an evil entity here that's harming people and I can't be part of this anymore. And he became a whistleblower. And through him, I've learned a lot about how that machinery works um, even deeper and how, how they, um, they even change dictionary definitions. You know, so if, if Trump comes out and says, um, this is one of them that I, I witnessed happen. He came out and, at one point and said, I'm a nationalist. Well, what does a nationalist really mean? It means I focus, I think we should focus on our country, not a white nationalist. That's different. That's, I think everyone should be white or a black nationalist or whatever it might be. That's, that's a racial nationalist. He said, I, I don't want to have foreign wars. I don't want to intervene in the business of other nations. We can be there to aid them, but we want to focus on our nation. And the when you dig up the how that the how the top three or four i think it is three or four top searches marion webster and all the definitions oxford dictionary the the third one was you know or it, it could mean white supremacy they pushed that to number one so now suddenly it makes it look like trump is saying i'm a nationalist and people go what does that mean oh he's a white supremacist he just admitted he's a white supremacist right so they're effing with the narrative in such a in such a horrible way that then creates this, this um, illusion in the world that the, our, the president of our country just admitted that he's a, a white supremacist. And then the media runs with that and it creates the racial division. And, and that's, that's really you know, the work that Google is, is doing. They're helping to divide, working in tandem with the media um, you know, corporations to push the agendas that create fear desperation, division, dependency, all of these elements that leave us as citizens desperate enough to um, shut out the truth, even when it's right in front of us, in a, in a fight or flight function of our minds so that our critical thinker gets shut down, so that we go, well, even though they've just determined that people 50 to 64 are one in 19 million chance of dying from covid 
and you and I stand a one in 700,000 chance of dying from lightning strike, even though we've just announced through the CDC and these, comp- these organizations that we've been told to listen and trust the science of, the people don't make adjustments to that. There's no party in the street. Let's have a, a great march to say it's over and let's take off the mask and let's celebrate our freedom. And that is a reflection of the mind control that has shut us down to say, even the facts say this, the numbers, the real numbers say this, we're going to adhere to a protocol that has no scientific fact in it. If we're still afraid, then maybe we don't take the masks off yet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, what's the harm in just staying home a little while longer? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, and if you're, you're still in a state of fear, you're going to be there. I didn't fear this thing from the fucking jump because I'm not afraid of nature. Like, it is absurd yeah. to think that we can outrun or outsmart something we're not separate from. We're completely integrated and interrelated with all things here and when you think about that it's a it's a completely different mindset of dominion over all it's a completely different mindset than uh we're gonna outthink and outsmart and outwit and we're gonna live forever and we're gonna find our way into fucking uh you know mechanical machine bodies and and be immortal like sure work on work on longevity and life extension and things like that but don't miss the foundational pieces that got us this far mm-hmm. right and there has been a divide from that and that is something that has been going on for many thousands of mm-hmm. years it is, it is not recent it is not just in our lifetimes it has been many many thousands of years and that's that's pretty bananas one thing as i mentioned as i started to unravel pieces of this but not the whole picture until seeing your documentary was um food you know as i mentioned i read uh, how to eat move me healthy by paul check back in the day and maybe to somewhere in the 2000s and started to see like what actually goes in our food what's sprayed on stuff like that and you start indoctrination or, or very early on we get to see ddt being sprayed in people's faces in a fucking ad run by the cdc right we 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 can see where these things are seeded out there's everyone knows of um you know old advertisements for doctors smoking cigarettes saying this is totally fine yeah. right doctor. your doctor smokes it use this use the camel pack that kind of shit um when you look at ddt when you look and we get further i mean let's it's like hard to figure out where to fucking narrow it down we look at companies like monsanto genetically modified organisms what glyphosate does and now with glyphosate resistant nature because nature is intelligently evolving we have to add other chemicals more more harsh chemicals that are in our food supply and killing off droves and droves of insects which are completely necessary soil yeah with a working ecosystem and every i mean every regenerative agriculture farmer that i've talked to talks about soil health we are completely dependent upon that unless we want to look like the beginning of interstellar where we can grow one type of corn with chemical fertilizer we need soil health all interrelated um but if you look at all these things from not just the pesticides and herbicides that are being sprayed but what chemicals are allowed into our food supply aspartame uh, msg things that are not allowed in other countries that actually look out for their citizens mm-hmm. in i think in in most if not all of the nordic countries you're not allowed to give any children's food artificial coloring or flavoring 
So Kraft actually had to change their ingredients for Kraft mac and cheese and use a natto mm-hmm. instead of uh, yellow dye. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, right. That's one small example. But aspartame, aspartame is in our diets. It's in all. It's in fucking diet coke. It's in chewing gum. It's in protein powder. It's in all sorts of shit. How does aspartame mm-hmm. get in? when we know it's a neurotoxin. How does it get in when at, at the bare minimum there are side effects like headaches and migraines, right? My, my dad, I was telling this story to the Aubrey the other day. My dad, uh, when we first started jujitsu, was pounding a gallon. He, needed car- he wanted carbohydrates. He was thinking in the old model and he's putting Hawaiian punch powder in, right? And I'm like, all that sugar is gonna fuck you up, dude. Like even if you're training through it, it's not good. You can't do it with the sugar. So he gets the diet version. Uh-huh. Still with the artificial coloring, yeah. and what's it got? It's got aspartame. Yeah. For weeks, he can't shake his headache, and it's becoming migraine. And I'm like, you have to get rid of this. And he, <clears throat> as we all do, looks online to verify aspartame is safe, yeah. right? Because you want to keep the thing that you're used to. And he finds all the science that shows that it's safe. Donald Rumsfeld gets it in, right? And you're like, cool, man. It's cool. Why do I still have this headache? Well, just give it a try. Let's just try it without. What happens? Magically. Fucking no more headaches. No more migraines. Thinks it might be coincidence. Has it again. Fucking migraine comes back. Like it is not coincidence, right? But the the greater picture of how does this stuff actually make it into our food supply? Why is that? Why is this going on? And who's looking out for us? Mm -hmm. There's no one looking out for us from that regard. Not from the fucking FDA, the CDC, the WHO. They're not looking out for us. And the beautiful thing about indoctrination is that you go very deep into how the CDC is a for-profit company, how they have broken many laws, and who are the power players at hand that are in control, that are working with mm-hmm. them. The World Health Organization as well. So let's let's talk about, um, and I want to get Rockefeller in here too. I know, we, hey, let's, let's stay on this for a second here, and then we'll circle back to Rockefeller. Um, talk about the Bayh-Dole Act. Uh-huh. Yeah, and let's let's start to to look at how some of these systems have been created through law mm-hmm. to not have any repercussion. And then who is Monsanto? Where did they come mm-hmm. from? Who purchased Monsanto? Where did they come from? Well, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that's not working for us right now has all been um, a byproduct of bad political policies. And the Bayh-Dole Act is, is one of them, really, that allowed people in laboratories to obtain patents for what was discovered in the lab. And some people fight for that to say, well, that's that they, they should, they should have the benefit of becoming very wealthy if they make a discovery in the lab. Well, the problem is, is it's, it, it again, like insider trading, it creates a, a domino effect of corruption. And so, um, you now have, you know, highly skilled, medical professionals that may um, hide a remedy in order to push their patented whatever they can patent up front and so what the result of that is people get sick and people die so it's a very serious thing for us to look at and so the the Bayh-Dole Act actually allowed this to take place and it created all this corruption within our colleges our universities that that you know are now just seeking to obtain patents. The more of these patents they can create, um, you know, oftentimes for drugs that do nothing but harm, 
Um, it incentivizes these good doctors, people who came in and actually gave an oath to do no harm. It incentivizes them. They see the people around them where they go, wow, you know, if I can generate something in the lab here that, that I can patent, um, which requires me to you know, push aside everything that's, that I can't patent, which is the natural stuff, um, I, I, I could generate millions of dollars like, like my colleagues are doing right here. And so it's just this you know, generation after generation, they just keep, they learn that if you want to make a lot of money, you know, own the patents. And then you, now you get into, you mentioned the CDC. Well, the CDC owns dozens of patents, vaccine patents. And, you know, think about that for a moment. It's, it's an organization who really should be out for um, our health and at, at all costs, whatever is the best remedy, whatever um, is the most effective uh, work in medicine, whatever it might be, that's what they should choose above and beyond anything else if they really want the, the population of the world to be healthy. Um, but they have their own patents, so of course they push those up front. And and you know, should the CDC own patents at all? Or should they be a neutral organization that is is looking for whatever is the, is the most effective and and healthy for us? I, I I think that, and so all of that creates it literally incentivizes corruption, and that's what we have. We have an entire industry that that is incentivized to do the wrong thing, um, and you know everything in the medical industry. I, I feel for the doctors, and I will say that the one of the most incredible rewards that has come from um, the pandemic series, uh, which has you know, made it much more easy for me to endure all of the attacks that I've received personally from the international media, is hearing the voices of the doctors that will say, thank you for giving us a voice. We never thought we'd see this in our lifetime. How many of them have said verbatim these, you know, the same line to me? We never thought we'd see in this window of opportunity. Um, they they express the deep. I've had doctors cry where they say, you, you know, can you just feel me for a second? I went to school for 10 years. I dreamt as a child of being a doctor. From two years old on, when they say, What do you want to be when you grow up? I said, a doctor. And then I went, I sacrificed all of my partying years and all of that in med school. To, to focus down and be the best doctor I could possibly be so I could go out in the world and help people. I take an oath, and that oath is a very deep oath, to do no harm, above all, do no harm. And I finally get thrust into a system, and the higher up I climb in, in the ranks of the medical industry, the less and less freedom I have to do the work that actually helps people. And I see my patients. I see, you know, I've had family doctors say, "Do you know what it's like to to help give birth to a child and 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 to see the joy in the mother's face, and then to treat that family for 17 years, and suddenly realize that now they have a 17-year-old son who's addicted to opioids, and it's my fault because that's all I've ever told the parents that." that they should give them when they need it. Oh, you, okay, your child is a little hyperactive. Okay, here's a little Ritalin. This is what I've learned that you give them. And here's a little, and now you have a 17-year-old son who's addicted to opioids, which will lead to 
other addictions and probably a, a, an entire, uh, a very challenging life. These doctors have revealed this to me. Like, do you know how soul crushing it is to know that I've done harm over and over and over? And that's why they're standing up and they're saying, I'm not willing to play the game anymore. I will be crucified. I will possibly be killed. Whatever it takes, I'm tired of playing the game and harming other human beings and I won't do it anymore. And that to me has been the, the greatest reward that I have received from this um, project. Huge. It's huge. Let's talk a little bit about the World Health Organization um, and and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which uh, I'm sure we could finish. One of the things when we when we met for lunch that um, I had kind of thought, but uh, I wasn't too sure on was how you said you had to cut down in the editing room how much footage you had of Bill Gates down to the 20 minute or 30 minute piece that he got in the film. Um, you know, it, the film does such a beautiful job of really showing who Bill Gates is, mm -hmm. right? From from the jump, you know, somebody mm -hmm. who took credit for creating something he didn't create to somebody who was in big trouble mm -hmm. or antitrust. And, you know, in his interviews, like can't figure out, somebody who's so eloquent, can't figure out for whatever reason what the word concerned means, yeah. right? Um, and then the complete rebrand, him dancing and acting goofy and oh i'm gonna be a philanthropist and give away all my money to help save the world and and then at the same time to talk you know look i get it eugenics things like that they can be hard for some people to grab onto or grasp right from the jump but i don't think it's very hard for most people to say is money a driving factor in this no question so when bill jokingly brags on air about Vaccines being the greatest investment he ever made, 20 to 1. 21. The guy invests 10 billion with a B into vaccines and pulls back 200 billion. Does that not raise a fucking eyebrow? This is long since polio was created and not the, uh, forget the guy, the polio vaccine, the guy who said, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to patent it. This is for mankind, yeah. right? Whether it worked or not, that's debatable. But the point is like that, that was done altruistically. This is not yeah. done altruistically. This is not done for our benefit. And, the, and part of the issue too with the Bidol Act is that we're paying for this research to be done yeah. and they are still holding the same profits. Very important right? point that I, I left out. Yeah, yeah. We, we pay for all the research, the taxpayers, and they, they reap all the benefits of the patents and we don't get any reward for that. And thanks to, uh, shit, I'm forgetting the other one, where, uh, was it the Clintons? No, it was Reagan. Uh -huh. Reagan signed in the bill that allowed yeah. vaccine manufacturers to not childhood injury act yeah injury act yeah. to not have to pay when there was injury and yeah. so where does that money come from now yeah Taxpayer. So, something that he admitted later that he deeply regretted doing because he saw what was coming from that yeah yeah it, I mean you you connect all the dots perfectly in the video and we're not going to do it justice by just talking about that so I do want to get into other aspects here but um still on Bill Gates you know like he somehow is the guy that we're all looking at and of course if you say anything bad about bill gates yeah what are you you're fucking right-wing uh fascist fucking you know conspiracy theorist flat earther like it's just like well or or this dude does not have a any credentials to be in the position he's in and yeah. b it may be not looking out for our best interests but talk about how deep that goes because you illustrate 
really what how far his hands go into the pockets of everyone else within this thing yeah it, i don't think the world will ever fully understand to to the degree that bill gates controls the global narrative uh, i mean it is really you know, and I, I will say i was the lead editor on plandemic and and so i i had to look at every frame of of, of every every video that we could we could possibly find and I had, when it came to Bill Gates, I had this very interesting experience um, uh, several times in the, ed in the editing bay where a new video would come in and somebody would say, oh my God, look at this moment where, you know, they talk about a tragedy and Bill and Melinda just smile like they like it. And I would look at it. And even knowing, I've actually been researching Bill Gates for 10 years, even knowing clearly what the man has done, having interviewed people that that, that were victims of his failed trials in India or, or, or Kenya or different places of, of the world, all you know, third world countries where the people don't have the power to actually litigate. Um, even though I know all of this and I'm clear about it, I would receive a video and I would look at it and I'd have this fleeting thought of, what if I'm wrong? I don't wanna slander a, a good man and I would, and then, I, then I would catch myself and go, "How? Where did that thought come from?" And I would look at the video and I would say, "Good God, there's something. This guy is so good." And he, especially when he sits next to his wife, I just want to believe everything he says. And he's got this Mister Rogers, you know, nasally kind of just you just I want to buy that. I say it in the film. I say I want to believe that that his heart is as soft and warm as his sweaters, you know, because. I, I really want to believe that the the narrative that that the the richest or the second richest man in the world is giving away half of his fortune to make the world to make my children's future safer. I love that narrative, and I would absolutely love to believe that it's true. It's not. That's not what it's about. In the guise of philanthropy, this man is doing great damage to tens, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world if not millions at this point. And when I started researching him 10 years ago, and this was before we had our first child, so I did very similar with you. I said, you know, as, an, as a concerned father and, and with my wife, um, we said, I, you know, because of my suspicion already, having lost my brother and my mother to bad medicine, uh, I said, we really need to look into this. We weren't at all against vaccines, but I, I said, I think the schedule is crazy. The amount of vaccines and and at two days old or two hours old, I said there's definitely some areas where some boundaries there that we're not going to allow the doctors to cross. Uh, but let's find out what maybe the progression of at what year do we do this? And maybe if we travel and we go to India, maybe they need this vaccine for that. Let's 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 do this as it's necessary. But the more I dug into it. The more I looked at the history of all of this, and the more I learned about the failed trials in these other countries, um, and I saw the videos of the, you know, the, the, the young girls who had been paralyzed and sterilized from Gardasil and HPV, and, 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 and then flash forward 10 years, now we're making this movie, and I'm telling my research team, because I had a, at any time a dozen to maybe 20 different people helping me from investigators to researchers to um, former CNN anchor people that were or reporters and 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 uh, studio producers that were um, had left those positions to help us really get behind the curtain 
And uh, I would tell them, you know, I, I remember this video of these girls that, and, and I'd have six different people looking for the videos and they're gone. They've been scrubbed from the internet. And it was really frustrating because I kept saying, no, 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 no. All right, fine. I, you know, let me find them. You guys aren't doing it right. I, don't, I would get frustrated. And I'd go and I'd say, no, you're right. They're gone. No matter what search engine, Brave and DuckDuckGo and Google, whatever we tried, no matter what phrases we, we put in, they're gone. Wow, Bill Gates has scrubbed the shit out of the internet. So I go, well, let's go right down to the source. So I end up getting on the phone with Dr. Colin Gonzalez, who initiated the Indian parliament investigation into one of the, just one of the trials that Bill Gates was involved in in India where you know 10, uh, 20 uh, some thousand girls were injured and seven died i got this guy on on a zoom call and i said i can't find this footage that i and he said yeah he said we've tried in the past too he said it's gone you'll never find it and i said so i want to hear from you exactly what happened and he, he broke it down for me he said clearly he said they came in with all these promises all these lies they um, sent handlers out into the villages, the, the poorest areas of India, and they told the parents who were Ill illiterate and couldn't even sign their names. In some cases, they got a thumbprint. In some cases, they just took the children and they said, we have this you know, program that we're doing. We're going to give your kids some vitamins, and we call it a well-being well shot um, that's going to just have your children more healthy and you know, to be able to withstand you know, this, the, the toxic world that they're living in. And the parents said, oh, that's wonderful. And they took the children and did an experimental vaccine trial. They even told India that, oh, it's not a trial, not a vaccine trial. They lied all the way across the board. They bribed um, Indian politicians and they came in here and then all of a sudden thousands of girls are, are terribly sick, can't walk, sterilized. And, and like I said, seven suddenly die. And, uh, and so they did this whole inquiry through the parliament and they, and as Dr. Gonzalez says, he says it was the most scathing report that I'd ever seen. And, and it was, it, and it, um, he was very happy because he said, you never get uh, uh, this kind of an inquiry into matters that, that affect poor people. And this was the first one that the Indian parliament actually took seriously. And, and it, was, it was so scathing that they said to Bill Gates and the, and the different manufacturers that you must leave our country and never come back. And, and then the politicians who had been bribed or who had said yes to, the, to that arrangement all apologized and said, we made a, a grave mistake. We've injured thousands of children and it will never happen again. And, but Dr., as Dr. Gonzalez says, he goes, and they're back. They're doing it again. Bill Gates, the same people. And because everyone is so scared about this COVID thing, they're lining up to take his vaccine, even though we remember just a few years ago what happened. They've, they've, you know, suddenly that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, people rolling the dice. You yeah. talked about the, um, I mean, and that, that, can, that can at least illuminate to how deep the level of fear has been implanted. Yeah. Like how, how much when we, when we drop into that state and you guys show, you know, images of the brain when we, when we shift into that, chronic state of fight or flight where we literally will hand over any decision making to an authority figure like yeah. please just fucking help me live yeah. and make the decision for me right but even still with that um i've seen those numbers drop in the polls 
from people in the 60th, 60th percentile saying like, yeah. yeah, we would take it if it's available now to 50, down to 40, and it's gonna continue to drop. And you have footage of Bill Gates, you know, just fumbling around and fucking up his answer yeah. when it comes to what, how safe is this? Mm -hmm. And talking about Moderna and talking about the trial runs, having severe reactions from it. And I'm saying, uh, it's not, not, not quite <laughs> That's severe. One of my it is, scenes, uh, yeah. It's not, it's not permanent. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, these things aren't permanent. Like, well, A, you don't know if it's permanent because <laughs> how would you know? Like, this is a fucking, as long as that trial run has gone on, permanent, yeah. right? Like, right. see him in 10 years or 20 years to tell me about permanent. B, um, these things do have consequences. They have serious consequences. And his narrative is, well, what we need is we need governments and lawmakers and officials to, you know, really, really, you know, go out on a limb and protect the people that are creating these things so we can get them out to the masses. And it's such a Mr. Rogers cute way of saying, we need to make sure there's no consequences. There's no for liability. This. There's no liability that we can get this thing out. Yeah. And if it fucks people up, which it will. Yeah that no one's going to get in trouble for it. Well, this is one of the, the greatest crimes uh, of the vaccine industry. A imagine having, being a car manufacturer and to save money, um, you put in the jankiest brake system that, you know, that money can buy, right? And suddenly there's, uh, you know, thousands of people getting killed because their brakes fail in the world. And when their loved ones come to you to say we want to hold you accountable because now we've understand there's a defect within the braking system of your automobile that took the life of my mother or my sister or my dad or or what my child and we want to hold you accountable for cutting corners um, and not being trustworthy you can't do that in the vaccine industry they can put anything in there they're not incentivized to do full clinical trials they're actually de-incentivized to do these because there are laws that if, if a certain drug doesn't pass the full extent of a clinical trial, they can't use it. And, and so all of that investment, those billion, millions of dollars for that new drug and all their stakeholders who they have to keep happy because they, they, keep, they keep investing, as soon as they lose all their money on one vaccine, they may not invest the next time. And so they, they, they don't have to do the testing and now one thing that people don't understand is if a vaccine goes out into the world and it's it's tested on people you know we're, we're the lab rats and it fails they they pull it they rename it and they'll repurpose it so there are a lot of medicines that have failed the public test and then they go all right let's use it for horses or canines or whatever it might be let's repurpose this thing here and um that way their stakeholders don't lose totally. We've repurposed it. Now we've done this. Now let's move on to the, to the next vaccine. But at no time can you sue the vaccine manufacturers. So they have a vaccine court that has already awarded, you know, it's climbing towards 5 billion at this time, which studies have shown that represent only 1%-ish of the actual vaccine injuries because most vaccine injuries go un you know, unreported or they're misdiagnosed because you have a, you'll have a doctor who is, um, they want to escape liability. They've given you the vaccine. So when you come in, instead of telling the truth and going, it was that vaccine I gave you, they go, oh no, it was something else. 
So only 1% of the, of the true numbers of people that are injured by vaccines, children and, and adults, actually make it to vaccine court. And, and even with that small of a number, they've paid out almost $5 billion in, in, in fees and damages for injured and, and death of people due to vaccines. Um, but where does that money come from? From you, from me. Not the manufacturers of the vaccines that are making, raking billions of dollars. It comes from the taxpayers. We pay for their mistakes. I mean, what an incredible scam that is. It's, uh, it's incredible. All right, let's, let's, I mean, and yes, to your, to your point too on India, when, when you watch, I highly encourage people to watch this documentary. If you've made it this far in the conversation, there is something resonating with you even if you don't believe all of it even if you don't want to believe all of it i fucking cried for days i remember talking to you about that at lunch too there was a mourning process a grieving process to understand where we're at and that is natural as much as i wanted to resist and not buy into it yeah um but in looking at it and not putting my head in the sand like an ostrich it's it's here these things are hiding in plain sight and it is it's unavoidable and it's like taking the red pill once you do there is no going back there's no unwatching yeah. indoctrination there's no unlistening to the things that you've heard right now um one of the hardest parts of the documentary which is perfectly put in is the footage from india and africa it's the footage I think it's 1.6 million Africans a year are guinea pigs. It's people standing up and saying, I'm no longer a guinea pig. It's, and it's who is it within these countries? It's the poorest. It's the indigenous. It's the people without a voice. And that has continued to go on behind closed doors without people talking about it. And uh, I just want to say like that, that to me is one of the most powerful pieces in the film. So thank you for including that because it is undeniable. We can talk numbers all day long about vaccine payouts and all this stuff, and it's important to understand that. It's also important to know that that's representative yeah. of a fraction of actual injury in the world. Yeah. And at the same time, when you see a kid mm. paralyzed, falling out of his fucking chair, and the mom just quickly mm. leans him back over and goes about her business because it happens all day long, Mm -hmm. she's almost immune to the reaction of this yeah. is where my child is at right now yeah. let me just tilt you back up real quick and move about yeah it's undeniable absolutely undeniable let's um oh, i, I want to yeah because I, I i so appreciate it, you know getting to know you here in texas and um and and to watch you uh, with your children um you know uh you're an incredible father and you're clearly a, a very deeply caring human being and and that's what motivates me to do this um, people have accused me of all kinds of other ulterior motives and if, if they only knew what comes with putting your neck out like this knowing that there have been dozens of people who've been killed for exposing what i'm exposing and and the concern that comes with me putting my family and my children i have a six and a nine-year-old endangered none of it's worth it i've passed up every opportunity to make money on this project because i knew that they would use that against us um i do it because of what you just mentioned because i've i've talked with 
and a lot of the people that are on part of my research team, there is no more fierce of a warrior than the parent of a vaccine injured child. Um, you, you know how much, I mean, your, your second child is, a, I mean, she's one of the best babies I've ever witnessed. I mean, for her <laughs> to sit through two and a half hour meetings the way she does um, at lunch, it's just blew my mind. But you know, you have one little guy and, and imagine the added pain, exhaustion, everything that comes with a child who is not mentally available and is um, expressing itself all day long through screaming and and you know drooling and whatever having to everywhere you go be in the spectacle of of attention and and dirty looks and all of that the 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 way that it has affected the lives of these parents because of how it's affected their children i have interviewed too many of them i have too many of them working on my staff and and my first child um this is where i have to choke it back um because my first child uh, we had serious complications serious complications that went from a home birth to an emergency c-section and and my my first son came out not breathing and it looked bad i mean it was literally they were doing a little suction cup on him and trying to get him to breathe the machine is going off and they're looking back at me and and i'm aware that my son is not alive right now and I'm trying to tell my wife, you know, everything's fine. And she's going, what's happening? And what's that noise? And I, everything's fine, baby. No, everything's fine. I'm lying to her. And I know everything's not fine. And I prayed in that moment that if, if um, that, whew. thanks, man, <laughs> for bringing me to this point. I'm usually the one that directs people here, but um, I'll take your lead on this one and just let it happen. Um, I prayed in that moment that if that if um, if my son survives this, um, that I will fight for all children. And whatever that means, in my little way or big way or whatever I can do, that I'll fight for all children. Um, and that I will be the best father that I can possibly be in this life, in this existence, in this body, um, if they just let that baby breathe. And the moment I was done with that prayer, he cried for the first time. And the whole room went, <gasps> yes thank you that's what we want to hear then you could feel like the tension just release because they were all going oh no we have a born dead baby and that that has what has had me dig deeper to care about everything that goes in my my children's minds and their stomachs um, and to look deeply in it, to look at the, the, the deep psychological effect of video games and how much and when and screen time, uh, medicine, food, uh, who they associate with, what schools they go to, to really take it serious, to give them the best opportunity. They'll make their own choices and I may not like where they end up, I don't know, but I'm gonna do my part as they're in my care to give them the best opportunities possible. And, and a lot of that begins with medicine. Yeah, brother. Let's, uh, let's take it one step deeper with eugenics. Talk about the Kissinger report. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I had to cut a, a lot of stuff regarding eugenics. Um, so for the people who don't know what that means, um, again, at face value, 
the the concept of eugenics can make as much sense as a as um, dog breeding, right? There's in dog breeding. There's there's this, you know, uh, the intention is we're creating these purebreds, and and if we're if we can mate them with the right genes and all of that, we end up with these in, in incredibly beautiful show dogs. Well, that is a concept derived from humans who have believed ever since the cradle of civilization from Mesopotamia that there are elite bloodlines, there are purebreds, and there are mutts. And so I am a full-blown mutt. I have everything in me that you can imagine. Um, my family and my bloodline could never be considered elite. <laughs> you know, um, we have everything from the ghettoist to the most hillbilly to you know everything you can imagine within my bloodline, and so I would stand no chance of being one of these you know elite rulers in the world. But the ones who were born into this um, um, into the fortune of of being this pristine um, lineage. Uh, Way back in the beginning of the cradle of civilization, they, they would go, they would classify as the slave class and the ruling class. We, we, you know, because of what we carry, we are more intelligent. Obviously, we're more successful. Look at these poor people that are out there, uneducated and and doing hard labor, and we're here being fed grapes and being fanned with palm leaves and living this plush life. It's obvious that we are so much more advanced than these poor mutts. And so that's the foundation of eugenics. Through selective breeding, through, through DNA manipulation, through all of this, forever there have been a, a class of people who believe that the world's problems are due to the morons of the world. And that if we can just wean them out through selective breeding, just like a dog trainer, um, we'll have a, a, the human organism will thrive. But until we get rid of these bad cells, we're always going to be sick. And, uh, and when you look at all of these people that I would classify as globalists, and they've been getting together for decades, and you know, groups reformed, the Club of Rome, and all these, these foundational groups that all, Henry Kissinger and Bill Gates and Al Gore, and all these people are members of these groups. And there's some key ideologies that they all agree upon. One of them is population control. And the need to reduce population. Bill Gates has got, gone out on major TED talks to talk about multiple times. Multiple times. Ted Turner, another billionaire. Totally. And they all talk about the need to reduce the population. Some of them, you know, say ten to fifteen percent. Some of them say eighty percent. So think. I mean, just wrap your head around that. At what? Like eighty percent of the population? What would that? What would that take other than genocide? Um, and. And so they they speak about it openly. Um, you know, Bill Gates' TED Talk. Pe people have misread that to think that he's saying he's going to just intentionally kill off these people. He's he's saying that he believes that through vaccines that he can um, uh, the mothers in third world countries who have five kids because they know that the the um, mortality rate of children is so much that they might end up with two or three kids if they have five. Um, but oftentimes, all five live, and that becomes a problem. He, he, basically, his theory is, if they know the mortality rate is lower, they'll only have the two kids they want. And so, there's some mathematical lot, you know, logic in that. Um, but going back to understand 
And this is the stuff I actually built, edited, and then at the last moment, I just went, we have to create a bridge for those who, you know, we really want them just to hear this mandatory vaccine part of this. And if I go too far into eugenics and all of that, they're gonna tune out and they're gonna miss what's most urgent for them to get right now, which is this push for all of us to be on a regulated, mandated inoculation schedule. And so I cut that stuff out, but here's some of the stuff that I cut out. William H. Gates Sr., the father of Bill Gates, was the head of Planned Parenthood and also a member of the Eugenic Society of America. And Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was also a eugenics, eugenicist. Um, one of her key initiatives in the area that uh, Bill Gates Sr. was involved in was called the Negro Project. And it was to focus a lot of their attention towards the reproduction of the black community. And so 75%, possibly more, of the Planned Parenthoods were set up in the black communities. She had a real concern with blacks reproducing. When you, when you talk about the foundation of real racism in America, that's where I would look personally. Um, and forever, the conspiracy theorists have been pointing out her blatant racism, and they've just been shot down until this year. Suddenly, with the rise of Black Lives Matter, who oddly don't care about the 1.6 million or billion Africans that get destroyed all year long. My last social media post was, when will these Black Lives Matter? No one's marching in the streets for, for those babies, for all of the, the, the Africans that are can attest to the way they've been harmed by being guinea pigs. Anyway, I digress. Um, so um, when, what, what was I at before I jumped on that? You're at the head, like the foundational piece of Planned Parenthood. Yeah, thank you. seated in the black communities. When you put that together and, and you, and you understand that not until this year did they finally call out Margaret Sanger, so much so that Planned Parenthood has now issued a public letter distancing themselves from their founder um, because of her undeniable, at this point, uh, racist history that now they can't deny because now Black Lives Matter is one of the, one of the good things that Black Lives Matter has brought in is just the awareness. So now Planned Parenthood has, has admitted publicly, all right, our founder was a racist. So we're distancing ourselves from her. I believe there was even a statue of hers that was gonna come down or came down or something like that. Um, so now, so you put that together and you go, Bill Gates' father was in partnership with a woman who was, and they're both involved in eugenics and they and she is now a a recognized racist. Bill Gates has done all of his trials in brown and black nations that has left them mostly sterilized. That has been one of the the, the biggest results of his failed trials. Could there be a connection there? Oh, and then the fact that Bill Gates actually had done a TV appearance where he said that when he was asked about his inspirations, he said his father's work with Planned Parenthood was one of his key inspirations. 
and you put that together and you go, his father's work with Planned Parenthood, his father's work with a racist who was involved in eugenics and he was he was part of the eugenics society. And it could, you know, Bill Gates be following his father's footsteps to find his own method of of weeding out the the morons, what he considers to be the morons and the and the the people who just um um don't serve a purpose on this planet. They just take up space. They just take up resources. And then you mentioned the Kissinger report. You read the Kissinger report and you get that, you know, during the Jimmy Carter era, um, there was a, 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 you know, laws that were passed that, that, and within the laws it's written there that because they knew Africa had all these valuable resources, minerals and resources, that they didn't want the population to grow so much so that they consumed all these resources that they would later excavate and use for for us and so again another way that america has robbed and raped another culture for their you know their resources their oil or their whatever it might be and when you understand that we have these greedy nefarious reasons for thinning out certain populations um and it's provable you can then start to go would they apply that on their own people is that like would they go to that extent to actually apply that on you and your children and me and my children um the answer is yes and we're watching that unfold right now yeah it's uh something i highly recommend people revisit is the film v for vendetta yeah and Oddly enough, the Wachowskis, who wrote and directed the Matrix trilogy, are also the writers of V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's an Orwellian movie that's in the in the future, but the parallels to government-mandated vaccines, mask wearing, curfews, uh, a lot of the shit David Icke was talking about, like you can actually see it in a very visceral way of what is to come if we don't stand up. I want to I know we've got about 15 minutes here left. I want to talk a bit about what is to come, what what we know yeah. is going to come, and and then what is necessary in our own minds and hearts to to really to be everything that we are. Yeah. And and to stand up together and say no to this. Yeah. But let's let's talk about the future. Let's talk about implanted passports. Let's talk about a global vaccine schedule and social credits. Yes. Okay. So um, earlier on, when I said that um, that the end game agenda is th- that we're actually in a communist takeover, I want to go a little deeper in, in, into how I've arrived at that realization. Um, and if you want to see what America can look like in five or ten years from now, look at the current state of China. Um, how do you get? 1.7 billion people, the largest population on this planet, um, to adhere to slavery conditions. And Chinese people are not stupid people. These are highly disciplined, highly intelligent people, you know, in generally speaking. How do you get them to adhere to a situation where they're now so desperate that you know, people in other nations are receiving SOS messages in their packages from, from, you know, factory workers saying, we are enslaved here working for $2 a day, help us, SOS. 
Um, how, how does a nation get to that point? How do they get to the point where there's over a million people in concentration camps in China right now? Like these are some really twisted things that are happening in China. Um, and you mentioned social credit scores. So for people who don't know what that, what that is, um, we've been primed through our financial credit scores. So we've been, th- those are all stepping stones towards us be- normalizing what is coming, which is a social credit score. And I'll explain the difference. So we know what a financial credit score is. It means, do you earn enough money and have you been integral enough with, with your bills to qualify to buy that home? They, you know, that's the way they look at it. They go, is this guy going to default on his loan? Or we know from your credit score. Social credit score is um, how good of a citizen have you been? And that, how, how do they rate that? They rate that based upon how much have you adhered to their protocols, what they call. They don't just mean like, are you doing community service? Are you helping children? What are you doing? That's not what they... Are, are you falling in line? Are you complaining online? Have you, have you made a post against your government? Um, have you, you right now being within six feet of me and being trackable for this time, and if this, if this were engaged fully in America right now, because of my current status, you would lose social credit score right now because of your proximity to me. And so that's the way they go, you know, then you, you know, you go to get that apartment you want and they go, Hey Kyle, sorry here. It looks like your score, your social credit score is too low. And you have to look, well, what happened? How did I lose my credit score? Well, you had a, that podcast with that guy. Or worse, you're removed from the home that you're in. Or you, exactly. Yeah. They, they come in and say, you no longer qualify to live here because of that thing you did, because of that truth you told, because of that, whatever you did. And, and that's in effect now in China, social credit score. And a lot of their movements are tracked from satellite. And that's part of the social distancing, us normalizing that, because they need to know if they're, you know, if you're in my field, the satellites call it one entity. So to be able to distinguish, you know, who you are and who I am, we have to be at a certain social distance. So they can then go, okay, this is this is Kyle and this is me. And and so all, all of these protocols are to normalize and prepare us for um, this social credit system. And it's already happening. I mean, you already see people online getting penalized for speaking the truth. They get deplatformed, demonetized. That's all a stepping stone towards be a good citizen, do what we want, and, and you get to be in our game. Don't do what we want. And eventually, I mean, it's happening right now. When I get people saying, oh, you're crazy, man, all like the, and I say, it, just look at what's happening in Victoria, in, in Australia, in Melbourne. You know, literally people are being arrested for not wearing a mask in their cars or for, for not jogging with a mask or for, you know, the, uh, just being stopped on the street. And if their IDs in their car, they're, they're, they're arresting them and, and they're arresting them violently um, in Australia. So it's now spread out of China and it's hitting these other nations and like a virus it is spreading to here by design and so all of these things you know bill gates wanting to make sure that they have what they call you know certificates vaccine certificates which will ultimately be in the there's various forms but one of the one of the technologies they're they're developing is the quantum tattoo which inserts your vaccine history um through an invisible tattoo tattoo that um 
authorities can scan with an iPhone infrared to go, okay, Kyle, you're up on your vaccines. Okay, you've not done anything, you know, you know that that we disagree with. You can travel. Um, they want to limit all of our our, our movement in, in in this uh, to other nations. Um, and again, that that then creates this. Well, if we want to travel, if we want to see the world, we better be good citizens. We've got to get in line and get your vaccine and get all of that. The re, it's 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 like I want to eat at my favorite restaurant. I want to go to a concert. Totally, right? Can't totally. do it if I'm yeah. not relaying the same narrative that is being conveyed. Yeah, and so that you know that is the future if we allow them to to win this. But. The good news is this, and I want to really thank the people who have stayed with us this long. And I know that a lot of this information is heavy, um, but it it certainly means that that um, if you've maintained the, the the bulk of this conversation, that um, that you're willing to endure and to look at this, and that is one of the most important things we can do right now is just be willing to consider it. Um, that's the first step. And then comes the, you know, you said at the very beginning of this podcast, the truth shall set us free. And I always say, yes, but first it shall piss us off or scare us or depress us or any of that. That doesn't have to last too long, but it's part of the mourning process. So there is a, a necessary process. It's like the five stages of grief and it's predictable and it comes, you know, it's the anger, it's the denial, it's the acceptance. It's, it's the, you know, then, then there's the cry. You had your cry. I had my big cry of just going, I don't want this to be real. I don't want to think that my government and people that I once voted for are part of this agenda. I don't want to believe that there are people out there that are so, um, have been so led away from their own spirit that they are trafficking children for sex. I don't want to, I don't want that to be true, but it is. And as long as I deny that it's true, more children are going to be harmed. So the quicker I can come to reality and say, it's happening, it's happening right now, um, and I'm going to look at it, as painful and as horrible as it is to see it, I'm going to see it. And by seeing it, I'm going to do something about it, whatever that might be, by just speaking out about it, by making a movie about it, whatever it is. I'm going to do my part to do my best to end this bullshit you know, within my lifetime. And I, for my children, for your children, for all children, if we all have that attitude, um, then they won't win this battle. And I can just tell you ahead of time, it doesn't mean for us to get you know, complacent and, and to relax, but they're not gonna win this battle. And here's why I know that. Um, in my years of, of uh, really the thing that I've been fascinated with before I even had it put a name to it was this, the, 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 the study of ontology, the, the, what really, uh, what makes us do what we do, human behavior. And and that led me into studying the, the mythologies that we've been telling ourselves since the beginning of time. You know, it's visible on the, on the cave drawings to the campfire stories that we told uh, to now uh, in every movie that's worth remembering. There's a very common story that we tell. And people like Joseph Campbell, who, who, who spent his lifetime studying mythologies from all cultures, and, and through all generations realize there's a common thread in all of these, um, in the stories. And, the, um, and so much so that Hollywood learned from that and, and decided, you know, Star Wars and you mentioned the Matrix and all these stories are built on a formula 
that is derived from what Joseph Campbell mapped as the hero's journey. And there are, you know, a very common thread if it's a simple love story or if it's a big Avengers movie. If you just boil down the narrative and what actually unfolds and you break it down and forget about, you know, how big one movie is and how small the other movie is, there's a, a, a quest that the hero's on. And, and a lot of the time, it's a reluctant hero. It's a hero that sees there's a problem and is looking for someone to fix the problem. And they're eventually told, you're the one. And they're reluctant to say, no, I'm not. There's a, uh, there's refusal. a denial, the refusal, refusal, refu- refusal of the call, that. exactly. And they say, no, 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 it's not, it can't be me. I'm, I'm, there's someone else out there more qualified than me to actually know the forces within you. And that's, that's a very common thread. Um, and so the, the, the awakening that's happening right now is, is, it's a good thing that we become so disillusioned with all of our leadership. Um, because it is, a, you know, if, if they're not there to save us, and as, as the Native American tribes have been saying for generations, we are the ones we've been waiting for, then it's us. And if it's us, who do we have to be to actually achieve our own sense of salvation? Who do we have to be in that? And the old me doesn't, does, won't serve that because the old me is a follower. Um, and, 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 but the natural me, the me that I've been severed from, the me that I've been told doesn't count, the me that I've been told is incomplete and, and not quite right and needs more work and needs more products and needs more ideology, more religion, whatever. Um, that's the me I have to put aside and put behind me and step into who, who I was meant to be. And so the other part of the hero's journey that, that we've seen so many times that it's cliche is the hero finally confronts the dragon and is beat to shit. It's never easy. It's never just like, okay, come on, dragon, let's take it on, boom, down, you're done. It's a battle that brings the hero to the edge of death. And so much so that we as the viewers, and we love that moment in a movie where our hero, the person we have now become attached to surviving and winning, might be dead. We know they're not. No story ends that way. Very few. Psycho was one of the first stories to actually kill its lead, right? Um, but um, those hero journey, iconic movies that we remember that actually affected our lives, uh, helped us guide our lives, the hero doesn't go out that way. At the moment of defeat, they remember who and what they are. Because everything that they've been told they are has just been crushed by the dragon. And so all they're left with it was then what's left, who I was born to be. And that remembering of that moment has them rise. You know that moment, you know, it's like I have it in the movie where they look up, you know, it's like, all right, now you fucked up. And now another me is going to stand up here and you're going to see a whole other level of fight and you're not going to win this one. And they rise with that determination in their eyes. And what ensues is, is the climactic battle. We as a human organism are just entering that, that, that moment of our hero's journey. And it will very likely be 
um, will look a lot worse for a little time. We will see the explosions and the fire and 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 it's going to get you know pretty extreme. But we have to know how it ends. We get to author this part of our story. We've allowed all these other lesser men, lesser women, lesser humans tell us who and what we are and how our lives are to be. But at this point, we pick up the hand and we author our third act. And if we do that together, then we win. The evil is, is, is ended. The, as Joseph Campbell would relate to it, the Holy Grail, the, the, the boon, the, the, the prize, which, it, which is you know, saving the planet or just you know, saving your love, saving your child. Whatever it might be and whatever scale for you, everyone is on a personal journey and it might be just a little tiny um, victory that's huge for that person. And then some other people, it might be you know, a global victory. Whatever it is, we're on our own journey in, in our perfect way, but the only way we're going to realize it and the only way that we're going to, um, to participate in this together is by understanding that that is the part of the journey we're on and we're in it together. And we can be the dragon or we can be the hero. We're not alone, brother. We never have been. Yeah. Um, we're out of time. We are definitely going to do this again. This has been incredible. Uh, talk about your website. Where can people watch the documentary? Plandemicseries.com. Plandemicseries.com. The, um, both films are on there. Part one. Um, the full-length movie is on there uh, in 12 different languages. We've also extracted all the vignettes. So everything that you mentioned, the WHO, Bill Gates, the CDC, uh, uh, Rockefellers, every little vignette has also been dissected from the movie in case people just want to watch and share that. Everything on there is free. We don't even ask that people sign up and put their email in there. Um, and it's downloadable. And I highly recommend people not to just watch it on the site, but to download it because you never know when, you know, we've, we paid for a pr pretty bulletproof site, but you never know when it's going to go away. Um, and to download it and to share it with the world. And like I said, it's in uh, 12 different languages, 12 or 13 languages. Um, and it's now starting to spread into other parts of the world. Um, there's also a, what we call the rabbit hole on our website. And so for all of the critics out there who have said that we've been debunked and this is all a bunch of garbage, I encourage those people to visit the rabbit hole, go deep, and you'll see um, study after study, um, testimony after testimony of every claim we've made in both, both pandemics. Um, to validate each claim. Um, if you take the time to do that, um, uh, I think it'll make your experience of the movies even that much deeper because you'll realize that we're, everything that we, we suggest in the movie is based upon very, very deep research and information that goes back many, many decades. And it's all there in the rabbit hole. It's a great, it's a great place to, to get caught up on all and on the bigger picture of what's really happening here. Incredible. Well, I'll, I'll spend some... I've watched Indoctrination three times now and prep for this and, and just in... <laughs> letting more trickle in each time but uh i definitely plan on going down the rabbit hole and continuing to go down the rabbit hole with you brother it's, you, it's uh, fantastic having you here in texas and austin and uh i've got all the love in the world for you and your family thank you brother you've been one of the 
the greatest highlights. There's been a lot of highlights since we made the exodus from Los Angeles to Austin. And meeting you uh, has been really on top of the list. I just really appreciate uh, who you are and the, and the work you're doing in the world and your courage. And, and, uh, and I, I, I also deeply appreciate your friendship. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.